We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Thursday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We've got Colin Brister on for a bracketology bubble special. It is spreadsheet season for uh, our guy, Colin. We discussed Ole Miss's 3-1 to one loss to Vanderbilt in the SEC tournament. Lack of offense, the same issues that have plagued this team all year, what it means, and if this was Ole Miss's last baseball game of the season and their NCAA tournament chances. So a lot of different stuff. I thought Colin did a great job breaking down the bubble. Felt it was relevant as the Rebels will now just kind of – really sit on their hands for the next four or five days as you're listening to this uh, and figure out if they've done enough to earn a bid into the NCAA tournament or if their season and the Mike Bianco era is over. So we discussed a lot of that as well as the uh, game itself on Tuesday night and then another missed opportunity in the season defined by them. So a uh, good conversation. Before we get to that, I want to remind you the podcast is brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. So the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you're into wagering, you need to check these guys out. NBA playoffs going on. Got baseball, all kinds of NASCAR stuff. They had a plus 13 unit weekend in NASCAR last weekend. You don't even have to watch NASCAR. I bet you could have used plus 13 units last weekend or whatever it was you were wagering on. You need to check these guys out. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range. Kind of uh, increase that bankroll before we get rolling full swing into football season. Test the guys at Skybox out. They are the professionals. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range, whether it's month-long, season-long, do all sports, sports-specific. I recommend just going with the year-long all-access pass. But these guys are the best in the business. You don't want the bookie texting you on Sunday night asking you to square up, adding to an already uh, scary to start the week. You want to be texting him asking where your supplementary income is coming from. That's what Skybox is going to do for you more consistently than anyone else in the industry, and particularly more consistently than your own brain. Go online, skyboxsportspicks.com, find a picks package that fits you, and use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. That'll get you 20% off whatever purchase you make, and uh, also lets them know we sent you. So, check them out. Podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. Get a free newsletter from me a couple times a week. And discounted meats. Right now, it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's a hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. It is summer. It is grilling season. It is the peak time to throw something on the grill. Enjoy the weather outside. 
maybe watch something awesome on TV. Nothing better than the outdoor TV setup. Greg wants to make your grilling experience great, so you need to go buy LB's. Oxford's so lucky to have a place like LB's. It is a staple of the community. All kinds of delicious cuts there, seafood, sausages. Go find your own favorites. Check them out, LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right, here is Colin Brister on Ole Miss's loss, what it means in a nerd-out bracketology session with some spreadsheets. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister. We are recording this. I feel like for most podcasts we do aren't that time sensitive, but I feel like this one is kind of important just from uh, talk about a lot of different things. It is 8.54 Central Time on Wednesday evening. I will release this Thursday morning, um, if not really late Wednesday night. Ole Miss loses 3-1 to one to Vanderbilt late, late on Tuesday evening that went into Wednesday morning to Vanderbilt. Single elimination game. Ole Miss is out of the SEC baseball tournament, there is no guarantee they'll play baseball again. As I'm sure most of you tuning in understand, we'll be getting into that, getting into a lot of stuff. This is uh, usually a fun time of year. It still is a fun time of year, but um, Ole Miss will be sweating it, don't you think? Yeah, sweating it. Um, I, th- I feel like we'll have a pretty good inclination of what's going to happen on Monday just because of what happens from a bid-stealing perspective. Like, let me put it like this. Um, Someone's got to go take Ole Miss's spot. Now, can they do it? Absolutely. Um, but I think Ole Miss, as of today, is on the right side of the bubble. It's not It's not something where they have no hope. It's something where you have to hope if you're Ole Miss or you're an Ole Miss fan that wants to get into the tournament, um, you got to hope that, that nobody goes and jacks your spot up. Um, so definitely going to make for an interesting next four days for sure. And how many times have I said this? I probably led you into the wrong way because I want to get into this game first. But sure, how many times have I said it on this podcast? It didn't have to be this way. And it <laughs> truly did not have to be this way, whether you're talking about the bigger picture of this season, last night, the importance of last night. I thought Chase's story uh, that I read this morning on the way to work um, was encapsulated pretty well. I thought it was really well written, and it lined up to my thoughts last night after that game ended so late of if this was it, and look, Chase wasn't writing the obituary. I mean, you can go read it. It's up on rebelgrove.com. But it was, I thought, perfectly, um, I thought he perfectly threaded the needle of like, hey, this maybe isn't it, but if it is, the team's DNA, which got it to this point, is and is also exactly the reason why they're in this situation, showed up one final time last night. The Rebels were one for 18, I believe, with men on base. I think they were – I want to make sure I have this correct because I don't want to – because I think this is important. I had it pulled up just a second ago. Now I'm literally just killing time here on the podcast. One for 18 with men in scoring or on base, and they were – what is it? Oh, let's see. One for six with men in scoring position. They were two for 11 with two outs. So you get the point, though. The thing that's plagued this team, I think you can kind of put the pitching aspect of it to bet at this point as far as the storyline, will be the death knell if this is it. And it showed up again last night. And I think that was the most disappointing part of it. Um, I don't know if you agree, disagree. You know, Carter Holton or whatever his name is had been really good for Vanderbilt. But that – performance offensively was disappointing um for the rebels and it will probably be what does them in if this is it um 
Yeah. So a couple of things. I, I think what is discouraging is Ole Miss's inability to put up competitive at-bats against elite or good to elite pitching. Um, I'm not ready to call Carter Holt an elite pitcher. I'm not quite there yet. I think he's pretty good. Um, but continuously, I think time after time, when Ole Miss sees good to elite pitching, they are not competitive. And and once again, it happened last night in a game that if you win, um, you're 100% in. And, and we'll get to this. I think Ole Miss is more okay than most, most people. Um, and, and, and people certainly have the right to disagree with me, and that's fine. Um, but in a game that you could 100% punch your ticket, in a game against a, a little bit of a rival, you just continually have bat at bat after bat at bat um, against a good pitcher. And, and regardless of what happens on Monday morning um, in regards to making the NCAA tournament, I think that's the most discouraging thing is even if they do get in, they're going to face good to elite pitching. And, and I just don't see any competitiveness at this point against that type of pitcher. I think you're dead on with that. And don't hold me to this. What I wanted to do today, if I got done with uh, my office job early enough, which I didn't end up doing, kind of the story of my life with this whole balancing <laughs> two gigs thing, I wanted to go back through who will miss faced in conference play from a starting pitching standpoint. If I really had some time, I could probably dive into some of the bullpen arms, like pretty much based on memory. Like they faced this guy this night, good bullpen arms. But when you talk about when Ole Miss is faced good to upper level starting or not starting pitching, you just said pitching, but you know, for the sake of what I was going to try to look up starting pitching, they haven't been very good, and I wonder what the discrepancy is. And maybe, look, we're going to get on it, even if Ole Miss is not in the NCAA tournament. We're obviously going to do another podcast, probably a couple more, about one, the end of the season, two, you know, where the future of the program goes. So, like, maybe I'll do it if I find some time this weekend. But I was genuinely curious about that after last night, and I think, it's a, I think you'd hit it dead on there. It's like when they have faced good pitching, they haven't been very good. And – off the top of my head, I was just trying to think of the couple exceptions. I don't think you had to think back very far. I, I think the, the couple of exceptions were what? Them getting Detmer uh, out of the game on last Friday? Uh, De- De- Detmer's isn't as good as, as – I mean, he's fine. Um, league this year, though. Like, you know what I mean? Like, how, how many good, like, good elite outside of Tennessee have they faced? And, look, I'm not exalting sure. Tennessee as an example. I'm just pointing out that we knew going into this year – like into this uh, in the the SEC, like what this league was was not great starting pitching or pitching as yeah. a whole. So like comparatively, but it was the only thing I'd written now is Detmer and then whatever you commit consider Mikael. Um, no, no, you're missing one. The guy at South Carolina, the Sanders kid, the the little Sanders yeah. kid that threw the game three, shut Florida down last night. If I'm not mistaken, though, did not did Ole Miss's most of those runs in that game's a little bit of a blur, and you'll remember better than I am. Did are, you, are you asking if they hit him? No, they didn't hit him. I'm just saying that's who they faced. Oh, oh, no, 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 no. I'm just I was just announcing. I was just going through exceptions, like in, in terms of uh, when they looked pretty um, good against good to better pitching, like uh, Con- Con- Connor Nolan. Yeah, that's a good one. They they and Ole Miss, you'll think that's game one against um, Arkansas, and what Ole Miss only scored four runs. And it wasn't perfect, sure. but they that was how they that was the they got eleven hits, a good SEC so I'll, I'll, I'll grant them that one. No, no, I'm with you on that one. Uh, no, I, we're definitely in agreement. I actually remember writing about that in the newsletter. I was like, I actually thought they were pretty good against uh, no one. Anyway, point being, there hasn't been very many exceptions, and that's as we. I, want, I don't want to do this 
as like an end of the season podcast, because I'm kind of with you. I do think they end up getting in, and we'll get to that part in a second. But just as they sit there with their fate out of their control, it is out. They, they do not control their own destiny. They do not control their own fate. If you want to point to one reason above all else, I think it's because of that. And that's probably the most inexplicable part of this season, right, is that we're having this conversation about this offense right now. Yeah, um, that's – it's – yeah. <laughs> you want to I, 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 I never in a million years um, would have thought this offense would be the reason that they um, missed the NCAA tournament. I, I just – if you had told me that in February, I was like, what the hell? And I get it. They've had some injuries with Kevin Graham and, and you know, but just you've had three guys really and then Dunhurst and Leather or excuse me, Dunhurst and Chatney and then McCants just really, really regressed. Um and you know, credit to Chatney and Dunhurst, they've swung it a little better recently. But which has um, been the marginal yeah. difference we've seen, right? That yeah. a little bit. They weren't good again last night. Um, you know, it's it's tough because um like I said, even if this team gets in, and I think we both think that, that they do wind up in maybe the second or third team, uh, third, third to last team in. But um, I just don't know. I mean, at some point, our, our buddy AK always says your numbers are what they, they say you are. And at this point, this, this team is not good or not competitive against decent – or, excuse me, good to elite pitching. Um, so, regardless of if this team gets in or not, and I think a couple weeks ago, uh, when they swept LSU, we're both like, hey, if this offense is, is here to stay, then, you know, hey, um, you know, the, they'll be they'll, – they'll have a real chance at a regional and, and maybe even get through it. But I think the reality is is sit in now that they've faced a uh, decent Texas a and bullpen um, on Saturday and, and a good starter in, uh, in health and Holton and Vanderbilt. The reality, I think, just has come back that hey, they, they, they are not competitive against good pitching. And, um, I don't know why, even if, if they do get in, why you would expect them to be next week either. Yeah, and that's the most confusing part because, right, you did have that decent stretch. And, look, it's also worth pointing out that Missouri is a bad pitching staff. And while LSU had pitched it uh, better recently, particularly when Ole Miss caught them, that's, one of, that's not one of the top half pitching staffs in the Southeastern Conference. And so you almost wonder – you know, was some of that the fact that they weren't facing good pitching staffs and, like, it was a little bit propped up by that. But, you know, honestly, to, like, counter my own point in that sense, I remember thinking at the time was, like, well, Ole Miss hadn't hit bad pitching that well to that point. So, like, what's what's the difference, right? Like, they didn't hit staff all that good. So, like, it was so hard to figure out. And last night, I remember writing in the Monday night, Tuesday, whatever newsletter, whenever some of you that subscribed received it, talking about the weekend and the context and what it means, like, in – spinning it forward into that Vanderbilt game is like, look, like so what you, you, I thought you summed it up well when you said Saturday for Ole Miss wasn't a good look, right? They have the five run inning and then they face A&M face two over the minimum over the final six frames or five frames, six frames of the game. Is that, you know, that's something to keep an eye on. And Holton had been really good. I think he's now at 24 innings without allowing a earned run. I'm pretty sure if I looked this up earlier, it was just a run like period and earned runs. He'd been really good. But, you know, that's, this offense for what it was supposed to be was supposed to find a way to scratch two or three runs off of a guy like uh, Carter Holton and then get him out of the game in the fifth and then have a chance against the bullpen. And, like, granted, he wasn't 105 pitches after six innings, but 
I mean, that concluded probably partially because what I think he threw like 16 pitches in that final inning. Yeah, and yeah, and but but the reality is, Brian, they had three innings more and right. they did nothing. They they did they scored a run because Justin Bench got a hit with two outs. Which is their um, only hit with runners on base and their only hit with runners in scoring position, clearly. But that's, that's bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's frust- it was frustrating. Last night was, was as frustrated. I had been with an Ole Miss team in a long time. Um, like I said, Holton was good, but, but I've seen Ole Miss abuse a lot better pitchers than that. And, and to kind of just go out like that, really not fighting, letting Christian Little retire the last six guys without really any fight. Uh, besides a Calvin Harris single that extended the game by one hitter, um, just kind of, just kind of infuriating. Um, I just, I people have asked me like, what happened to the offense? And, and and some of it's the regression that we talked about with those three guys specifically, but like, some of it is just that they're not as good as we thought they were going to be. Um, you know, Justin Bench, I think, is is has been as good as we thought we would be. For whatever reason, on Jacob Gonzalez has had some terrible BABIP luck. Elko and Graham have been fine. Elko struggled a little bit recently. But outside of that, I mean, at this point, who can you really count on? Outside of those four guys, it kind of seems bleak at times against good to elite pitching. Yeah, the only one I'll throw at you is Kemp Alderman. But, like, he had multiple weeks this season. I don't mean this as a criticism because I think the kid had a pretty good year, particularly building on a really high swing and miss rate the year before. But, you know, he had a stretch in – April or so there where it's like I kind of forgot he was in the lineup you know what I mean and like if you're really really good SEC hitter that doesn't really happen um and so he had a decent year but it never it never seemed like it kind of all clicked at the same time except for that kind of one week and a half-ish two weekend sample size and that was really um about it and that's probably what will be the more mystifying part of it. And, like, I, we can get into whatever piece of that game. I think people want to hear about the bigger picture as well. But I will leave it at this. If that was the last game for Ole Miss, I, I thought above any, and there's probably a couple of other examples throughout the year, if that was the final time they take the field, this version of the team, I thought that was about as fair of a painting as you could draw of this team if you wanted yeah. to encapsulate it a whole season. I thought that I was – Pitching gave them a chance. They fought great. their ass off. Right. Pitching fought their ass off. Not great. Dylan Delush is not your top-end Friday night guy, but gave you a chance. And he was tired. Yes. Oh, you could tell easily. And the bullpen was good enough. And, yes, was the starting pitching there for about three weeks of the season completely ridiculously unsustainable? Sure. But that's a small blip in a 60-something game season at yep. this point. They gave them a chance, and the offense just wasn't good enough. And I just – if, again, I keep repeating myself, but if that was it, that felt like a very, very fair final chapter, final picture of an accurate description of what this team was, I guess, if we're talking about it in a past tense. Yeah, no, it's certainly a way to put it. Um, unfortunate. Yeah, it's just the offense not good enough um, for, for the entirety of the season, really. And and you kind of just thought they would come around, but the, the reality is that, that they're not. Um, even if this team has to advance to next week, I don't know how you can count on this offense to, to bail you out because um, people will talk about if they are to play next. Like, hey, win two games with Delusia and Elliott and go bash your way to a regional championship. It's like, this team can't bash their way to a regional championship. What if they've done that all year? Um, I don't know. It's it's I, I, I would like to um, – and I will never get this opportunity for, for a multitude of reasons, but I'd like to ask – Clement, like, you know, hey, what happened? And I don't mean – I think Clement's a very, very good hitting coach. 
Um, but I would I would be curious to hear what what they think happened with it from an offensive standpoint because I have never um, seen a seen regression like this with guys that are returning for their you know second or third or fourth year in the league. You know, I'm with you, and I know what you mean by like asking him what happened. It's not an accosting like you know hey, no 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 like do your job type of thing. I would actually be very curious to hear his honest opinion of like hey what because at a certain point I think Clement's a good hitting coach. I think the sample size through the years um backs that up I don't know if you agree disagree but I think he's oh, really, I absolutely agree yeah I think he's a really good hitting coach at a certain point it's out of their control right it's just it's sure. a, at a certain point with and I don't know if this is the case with Clement this year I have I don't know Mike Clement at all he doesn't know who I am I'm just like I would just like to know his honest opinion because at a certain point as a coach and I've said I've talked to coaches about this before when teams underperform you just kind of become a bystander you can try different mm-hmm. things but at a certain point you know you're paid not to throw your hands up and say, Hey, this is it. And they'll continue to try different things or, you know, continue to fight until the end. But at a certain point, whether it's subconsciously or just kind of in the back of their mind or whatever the case may be, you just have to go get it done. Yeah. It's just kind of become a bystander. It's like, I don't know. Eventually it's on the guys at the plate. And so I'm with you. I'd kind of be curious to see what happened too. To kind of transition that into next week, if there is a next week for Ole Miss, I think uh, something you said a second ago, is interesting because you said, well, you know, they can win two games with Elliott and Lucia. And I, look, we were tooting that horn last week when the offense sure. was back. And like, I feel like it, this, this season has taught me so much about this sport and patience and non-patience in terms of like gauging and judging what a team is and isn't because I've been so wrong on so many different occasions about what this team is. Um, it may be though look, I'd probably laugh at saying this in ten years if I'm still doing this the way I am, but like it, it may like it's the wrongest I could have possibly been the most amount of times about a certain team. This team was so <laughs> confusing. This entire season was so confusing. But I say all of that to say when that offense did get clicking in the last two weeks, I think I don't want to speak for you. I think we were more eager to jump the shark and say, hey, now they're back. Sure. They're finally rounding the form because of what they were supposed to be a year ago. And it wasn't like this stuff was unfounded. It, you had a pretty much an entire year sample size with everyone not named Alderman and to throw back Thursday to Reagan Burford when he played. That seems like a lifetime ago. Outside of that, you had a full season sample yeah. size of these guys. And so I don't feel stupid for it per se. But I do think there is justification for why we jump the gun, jump the shark, whatever. We're more eager to say, okay, this is what this offense is. They're back. is because it wasn't even potential. It's what they were a year ago. And that's the most confounding part of this whole season to me. Um, yeah. yeah but go ahead. Sure. Yeah, but if you have thoughts there, yeah. I didn't finish my thought. But go, uh, or Sorry, I rambled there. But what were you going to say? Sorry. I, I was just going to say um... – you know, it's we, we did, but I think we also always use the caveat if this offense is what we think it is. Like, I'll, I think we both left open the possibility that hey, they might still stink. Um, because look, you don't, you don't go 40 games and stink and just you know, uh, yes. completely forget that. Um, now I've seen teams turn it around and 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 be a completely different team, but the you have to at least take the 40 games into, into context and and. Um, it looked like yesterday. And look, sometimes you just get beat, right? Um, and sometimes, like, even good offenses, like the 2018 offense, the 2019, 2021 good offenses, um, just get beat in a low-scoring game. But it, it just didn't look like they were competing. Like, you, you can score yeah. one run and look okay on the offensive end. 
but that's not what happened last night. Yeah, you're right. And like to, to add on to what you're talking about is like, if this offense like kind of was back or whatever and Saturday happened, right? It's like, okay, that wasn't a great look, but they respond with car scratching across, even if it's not a great night, I don't know, four or five runs on seven, eight hits and give the pitching staff a chance, right? If Ole Miss had scored five runs last night and they lost seven to five, wouldn't put this in the category of uh, pitching wasn't quite good enough. They just lost a baseball game, an important one, but yeah. you blame it one way or another. It was like you mentioned, non-competitive. I mean, Weldon, <laughs> shout out to my guy. He admittedly doesn't watch a bunch of college baseball. Weldon texted me last night in the second inning and goes, I know this is dramatic, but like, this is over. They're not touching this kid. And like, is that honestly the most honest way to view it? Weldon, I don't know how many games he's watched. I don't want to speak for him. I guarantee he's not watched half as many as we have. And I don't mean that as like a slight. He's a football guy, but like he texted me in the third inning, was like, "I don't think they're touching this kid." And I was like, "Oh, honestly, well, I, I was with him. Um, I, my only prayer was, hey, if maybe they can get him off the mound and still yeah, exactly. the game, and maybe get after the bullpen because I, yeah, I was the same way. He was. They were remarkably uncompetitive continuously against uh, Holton. It was it was bad. Um, that might be as bad as they looked offensively since the Tennessee series all year. Yeah, I mean, look, there was some situational stuff against Arkansas. Where it was, yeah, what are you doing? But yeah, I mean, it's it's in the on a year of bad offensive performances that that that's cracking the Mount Rushmore for sure. To spin it forward, at before I broke my own brain there and got off on the t- in tangent about like, wow, we thought the offense is back. I thought you brought up an interesting point about bashing your way through a regional because it's like, well, when have they actually done that? Another piece of that pu- puzzle is in years past. Do you remember the 2019 regional where Ole Miss? You know, I feel like I've, for a couple of years they've gotten a couple of bad draws, right? Remember that in 16 they hosted and drew the Pac-12 champion Utah as their fourth yeah. seed, pretty good two seed in Tulane or Boston College. I can't remember which one was which. I think Tulane was the two, Boston College was the three. It was like, damn, it's a tough regional. They got a pretty good draw in 19 because Clemson yes. didn't have anyone close to five, six, seven guys they'd faced throughout the league in that year. And then – I mean, hell, Illinois – Illinois is the three seed in that, right? Or was, It doesn't matter. Too. No, it's, it's vice versa. Yeah. Well, Illinois' ace was like one of those like floppy disc-looking guys where he like, you know, pushes it or thumbs it over the plate. He threw like 86, and that was supposed to be their ace, that bleach blonde hair-looking kid. I'll never forget it because I was like, this team won this many games in the Big Ten with this guy? And so in years past, I would have argued potentially like, hey, like, you know, I know it stunk at times this year in the SEC, but, you know, if they get into another regional, what are the odds they face pitching as good? Whereas this year, there's actually a decent chance that they face better pitching in a regional, depending on which one they get into, not a guarantee of any sorts, or as good a pitching. I, I guess my point is, there's not a – like, they'd have to get really lucky to be a, there to be a drop-off in pitching in a regional versus what they face in the SEC this year just because of what the SEC was from a pitching staff standpoint. Oh, no, that's a very good point. Um, the SEC was not good um, on the mound as a whole. Outside of Tennessee and some select guys, um, you know, like Will Sanders and, and whatnot. Um, no, it's a really good point. They're going to see better pitching if they are to get to next week. And, um, you know, so it's uh, it's definitely, without a doubt, discouraging. Um the way they performed last night, because I don't, I don't know how. Um, look, they, I, I think they get in. We both said that continuously. 
I think they get in, and I don't think it matters because I don't think this team can hit pitching that's copped it. I mean, I just, you know, like you said, they're going to see a lot better pitching this year than a regional, uh, whereas in 2019 they didn't. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know how this team wins a regional, even if they are to get in. Yeah, I mean, look, the, I mean, the, the, I mean, I can get, I can give you the path. Not that anyone, I don't think right now necessarily wants to hear that, but it's just the fact that they inexplicably turn it back on for three games. Because again, Elliot and Delusia, I think, will give them a chance. It's just kind of on the offense to be good, but they just haven't given you any sort of, uh, any sort of inclination that they're going to be good. It kind of reminds me of like a couple, like there's a couple of professional sports teams over the last year's couple uh, that come to mind. The first year that like the, I don't know how big of an NBA guys we have out there listening to this podcast, but like the first year that the Celtics got Kyrie Irving and they were kind of terrible in the regular season and everyone just assumed they turned on for the playoffs. And then he got to the playoffs. It was like, Hey, why did anyone assume this? Like they, they were a 500 club for like three fourths of the regular season. This is not a team that coasted through, um a regular season because they were coming off you know their second title defense in four years or something they achieved nothing together why did we just assume this and like the, I mean the Kawhi Leonard Clippers a couple years later kind of remind me the same thing it's not a perfect example but it's like at this point even despite last year's sample size where this team has some history I just don't have a ton of faith in it and so not to belabor the point and keep beating it in the ground but I, I do think that that's probably more so what they are at this point, and I guess until proven otherwise. And if they are proven otherwise, it'll come on the biggest stage when it matters most. But until that point, it's just kind of like that's a really disappointing way to go out. Last thought on just the game in general before we get to what I think everyone wants to get to as far as the bubble. You, did you watch Alabama-Arkansas today? I caught pieces. I did. I watched pretty much everything. You didn't have to watch a ton of it to know that Alabama was playing for their lives. Their damn hair on fire. In a sense of urgency. And, look, if you were like, what does that actually mean? Just go watch the game. It's, it's, they tagged up on a, a sack fly to third base for the second day in a row. That's a fantastic. That's a fantastic way to put it. You're right. I mean, it's it's. It, I mean, they're fired up in the dugout. It, you can tell when a team's really locked in on a like I, I know the, what Mike used to have the whole wind pitches thing, but you can tell when a team's really locked in on the pitch by pitch basis where it's like, hey, we can't lose. I mean, look, Ole Miss has done it before, right? When they're fighting for their lives in um, 19 in the SEC tournament, there were times where it's like, hey, this team is they, they may lose, but it will not. Like I remember that day they faced. Uh, Oh, Tony Losey and whatever that cat's name was from Georgia. Yeah, it's like, from Georgia. They, they, yeah. yeah, they may lose. Uh, they faced Georgia's uh, Emerson Hancock and Tony Losey. Georgia's Friday yes. and Saturday got both uh, draft picks in the same day. It's like, hey, this team may lose, but they're not getting cheated, and they ended up winning that game. I, I say all of that to th- say I didn't think last night was lethargic from a focus standpoint. Okay. Look, offensively, it was bad. But do you make anything of the fact – we talked about the DNA of this team. We've kind of questioned their toughness, and I know that's a touchy subject, particularly when phrased the way it is, at times this year and recanted on it at times when they kind of showed some toughness. Did, did, did that say anything to you last night? Because they um, may not have felt like their lives were on the line, but shit, they should have um, because yeah. they had a chance to hammer their ticket home and kind of faded weekly. I mean, look, last night, wherever you want to describe it, Getting to 14 and 16 and the seven and two run down the stretch, I think maybe guys this a little bit, but that was a huge opportunity for them last night. Um, no, you're exactly kind right. Of faded it's, weekly. And I just, do you read anything into that in terms of just the DNA uh, of this team? No, I, I think we've, we've gone back and forth on the, on the, on the mentally tough thing. 
Um, I think they are, and and I just I don't I think they're very good, and 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 it's easy to say like hey, you know, this, this team's not you know mentally tough. Well, no, they, I think they just stink um, um, at times offensively. So uh, it it looks I will say this, and I don't know how to quantify this, and, and, and I should, um, but I just when I watch Alabama play, it looks different. They just, and I'm not trying to say Ole Miss isn't playing hard and all that, but telling you it looks different I mean that today they score on a sack fly to the third baseman in foul territory today they score on a ground ball to shortstop from second base um they're just playing with their their hair on fire and you just never really saw that from Ole Miss last night I mean you know and it's hard to criticize this but like Enrique Bradfield running down balls, making diving plays. And it's just, you know, there, there, there's no energy, it looks like. And I know it's really easy to say there's no energy when you don't hit, when you don't hit. But, man, it just looked flat at times. I mean, we talk about, like, what, how it looks and looking different. One of the few times I thought was, and look, Missouri was what it was. But there were moments in the LSU series where I thought Ole Miss was kind of channeling that similar sort of energy. It felt like a team that finally understood, hey, they have no margin for error, no room to play with, right? Or uh, no, like no, no moment to mess around. It's taking control of that game two immediately after you have that game one win that's bridged into two days because of weather. And then you continue to add on in game three. Like that was really the only weekend all year. It felt like they had that kind of urgency. And – Kind of going back to the February portion of this season, or right around the like they got through the non-conference, they take two or three Auburn, but when they got got humbled and punched in the mouth a, a little bit, not a little bit, a lot against Tennessee, we talked about like seems like this team kind of rested on a false sense of confidence. It's almost like they won seven or eight in a row or whatever the streak ended up being. It was like okay, we're back, we're good. And I don't feel like that same sense of urgency that we're talking about using Alabama's example that's hard to quantify carried over to either the Texas A&M series. And look, Thursday, I thought they just lost a baseball game, but particularly the last two or in that finale and this game. I just, it's like, well, where did it go? Because you should have been just as desperate as you were in Baton Rouge, where this seemed still like a long shot that we'd even be having the discussion that you're in the tournament. I just, I wonder where that went. And maybe it's just the fact that they lost a baseball game and I'm reading too much into it, but like, it's like, that was there for seven games. Why was it not there for the two that actually really, really matter? Yeah. Um, but I guess phrasing it another way, what has this team done besides sweep LSU at Baton Rouge? I don't mean, I mean that genuinely. What, what, what have they done? Um, to let you know that hey, this, this team is a is, is a quality baseball team worthy of making the postseason and can get it done when it matters. What, what have they done besides one weekend in Baton Rouge um, when LSU didn't have Jacob Berry? What has this team done? The literally the only other thing I could point you to is Auburn. Auburn, yeah, and 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 that's that's a big weekend, and that's frankly those two weekends are why we are even having this conversation. Um, but we're talking about 14 weekends, and two of them were meaningful wins. I mean, we're talking about outside of that, a, a series win over Kentucky. Is that literally it? Did they win another series besides – oh, Missouri. So, wins over Kentucky and Missouri. Um, they won four wins. series in SEC play, and two of them were Kentucky and Missouri. They won three against teams that made Hoover. Oh, here's a fun stat. Let's see. They were 0-3, 2-4. Five and four. They were six and six against the uh, 11 through 14 seeds in the SEC. 
Is that bad? <laughs> but they were somehow nine and six on the road and seven and three in game ones. Mm-hmm. Six and six against Mississippi State. Oh, that's even that's so bad. They were six and six against Mississippi State, Alabama, Missouri, um, and Kentucky, and they swept one. That's not what you want. Uh, yeah so thanks for tuning into this podcast for advanced analytics that is not what you want that is not uh that is suboptimal as uh, i might have said back in the radio days so be you just come up with that word on your own one day or was that like something we used in high school where'd that word come from because you're it's kind of your uh, cliche now yeah i know that called i mean talk about that god bits that we've tried and bits that have succeeded through the years with this whole on air thing that just randomly came together in the last half decade. I don't know. I started saying, so I I kind of, I said it one day and I think I was like, Oh, this is kind of a fun word and people don't use it that often. And so I think a lot of times when like Richard or whoever it was would just describe a really bad situation, that would be my only drop in. I just go, yeah, suboptimal, not what you want and not add anything else. And sometimes it's the perfect way to describe it. So I think that stuck. And then Hey Dad kind of ran with it, or like anyone else who used the word, he threatened to sue as if I owned it. So that's kind of how that came to be. But no, I did not invent that word, as far as I know. Okay. I credit okay. for it, but I don't think I did. So, um, so you didn't, you didn't patent it. No, I don't think so. I don't. I'm not getting it. If I got a check from Webster's, they have the wrong address. It's, it's not coming in the mail. I haven't cashed any of those suckers yet. So, um, I guess we'll have to check back on that one though. Um, so. Be that speaking uh, of mail, speaking of mail, do you uh so like we're relatively the same age. Do you ever like not get stuff sent to your house because everything you've ever done is sent to your parents' house? So like my W my W2s and all of that, and I'm like, oh yeah. I I and I totally forgot that I don't have those because they're at my parents' house and now I have to file taxes in the, in 15 minutes or I'm gonna get a late penalty. So mine is, mine is banking information is where I really fall guilty to that. And that honestly, some of that is due to the fact that my father is my banker. And so with like debit credit card stuff, my mailing address is still a Ridgeland or Jackson or whatever area code. So some of that, and I did, ha- like that was bad for me for a while when I was in Oxford and like even out of school and still living in Oxford. And it was like, oh shit, that went to my parents' house. But now that I've moved to Texas, like I kind of have it together now. And it was like, hey, I, you know, I need this two states over. Like I need to get whatever this important document is <laughs> sent to me in my job. That's got to be rough for like uh, in college that your dad was your banker. You could just be like, hey, what did you spend $162 on at the library last night? Oh, yeah, it wasn't great. Um, I wouldn't <laughs> recommend that life to anyone. I'm very grateful for what my parents and everything they provided for me as a child uh, and going through. But, yeah, no, you're, you're dead on with that one. In college, you know <laughs> – I mean, look, like the, luckily my, the way my bank works, I don't think you can overdraft. I think they like warn you a couple of times. I got all kinds of warnings, but yeah, no, like big night at the corner bar, RIP. Um, my dad back. Like, hey, like what, what's the deal here? It's Wednesday. What, what's wrong with you? <laughs> hey, man. Yeah. I know. Do I need to make a call? Yeah. Like, Hey, what's your way back in the day when like a big tunica trips were a big deal. He'd be like, did you go to tunic last night? I go, well, no. And he'd be like, well, you, you went to the ATM twice in Tunica. Like, I don't know if you oh. actually uh, you know, went in and went in the casinos, but I, I'm, I'm showing Harris at 3.02 a.m., 60 bucks. So you didn't go? Like, no, I don't know what that is. Do you want us to file fraud charges? No, I don't. Actually, please don't. <laughs> yeah. Not, not the guy. 
not the uh not the greatest move but i kind of got it mostly down now although the uh, ultimate irony in that when i say i've gotten it together from a male standpoint when i moved out to texas i had three weeks where i didn't have an apartment um i was still figuring that out but i had to start work and so for my address because they had to send me new hire documents tax stuff i put mc's address in fort worth and mm -hmm. i don't i've been too lazy to change it so now all the important insurance stuff actually still goes to her fort worth address so i have my own place in dallas now and have for two years now but my work still thinks I live in Fort Worth, technically, I guess, by the rule book. So we're just uh, here. Um, surviving, surviving in thriving. Surviving in advance? Yeah, exactly. maybe not like the Rebels are going to do. Yeah, exactly. No, we're taking it day by day over here, which I guess is what the Rebels are going to have to do. That's what we in the biz call transition. This is what the part of the pod that everyone wanted to hear. Sure. It is spreadsheet season for you. This is where I'm at. I mean, look, I'm always eternally grateful for your services here, but particularly this time of year with the spreadsheets and the bubble watch. You know more, so much more about this than I do and I have such a better handle on it. I tried to get it over the last hour. I'm going to leave this open-ended to you. I don't even have a question. Paint me the bubble picture. Why you think Ole Miss is fine, wherever you want to take this, go. Uh, fine is relative, right? Um, I think, so here's what I got. I got, as of tonight, 38 teams are locked into the NCAA tournament. Um, it was 37 coming in tonight. North Carolina State beats Miami. They will be in the NCAA tournament. I've got 19 one-bid leagues, okay? That's like the Patriot League, the Big East. Um, some people say UConn maybe could get in if they don't win. The problem with UConn is they have a 50 RPI, and they're going to play a bunch of nobodies in the uh, Big East tournament, and that's not going to help. So they're not going to make it, I don't believe. Unless they win the NCAA, or excuse me, the Big East tournament. Um, so again, 38 teams locked in, 19 one bid leagues. That is 57. That's called math. Um, that means if you do the math, 64 minus 57, there are seven spots remaining um, for teams. And Ole Miss is one of those seven uh, spots. Uh, I have, so I'll, I'll read you my board right now. I have. 12 teams, I believe, on my board for seven spots. Ole Miss, West Virginia, Old Dominion, Louisiana Tech, Rutgers, San Diego, the University of Texas at San Antonio, Iowa, Clemson, Alabama, Louisiana Lafayette, and Middle Tennessee. Um, seven of those 12 teams will get into the NCAA tournament if there are no bids stolen. For every bid that is stolen, the uh, bubble shrinks by one spot. I will say this, as of this second, and this is me doing some projecting, so maybe I'm an idiot, um, I have Ole Miss as the first team um, of those of those 12. Uh, just from an RPI standpoint, from a top 50 wins standpoint, I have Ole Miss first. Um, past that, but here's the reality. Every other team of those 12 is still alive in their conference tournament. So if you're an Ole Miss fan, you need to root against those those 12 teams or 11 teams and try to get – and hopefully they are put out as quickly as possible. Otherwise, they can start taking your spots, and then when you get bid stealers, if you do, they overtake you, and then all of a sudden you are not in the NCAA tournament. I think it would take a partial – or, excuse me, a small amount of chaos for Ole Miss to miss, um, but I don't think it's impossible by any stretch of the imagination. That was dynamite. You've had some good hits on this podcast through the years. That might be number one. That was uh, – that was great. And so when we talk about spreadsheet season, not to hype you up too much, but this is, this is next level stuff because an hour ago, 
you had ten, uh, NC State among those bubble teams. Am I not correct? Yep, just, that's correct. But they just recently uh, actually did that while we were recording. I was about to say, dude, it's already updated. I just watched it go on and off the screen. It was like a, a robot controlling things for me. So this is up to date, up to the minute. It will change tonight to some degree. I know West Virginia is playing at eight. They are. Uh, they are down six to nothing in the uh, fifth inning to Oklahoma, which is very good news for Ole Miss. Is that the I, – I, to hand up, I have no idea how the Big 12 tournament works, so they're going to get – I know it's in Arlington. Are they – is that a yeah. elimination portion? Is that double? No, it is double elimination. If they lose, they would play Kansas State tomorrow um, because Kansas State today lost to, I believe, Texas Tech. So, um, assuming West Virginia does not erase a um, – six-run deficit, they will play Kansas State tomorrow. Now, here's the thing about that for West Virginia. That game is meaningless unless they lose, and then your season is probably over because Kansas State has the number 102 RPI. So winning the game does nothing for you. Losing it probably ends your season. That is not a fun place to be in. So that is some early good news as we are recording this for Ole Miss. And just to roll through it one more time for those out there listening, because, again, this will change slightly. Um, by the time most people are listening to this, but not a ton. And I think it's still very relevant. I think the way you set it up here is very good. The 12 teams for seven spots, that math is correct, right? Yes. That is Ole Miss, West Virginia, Old Dominion, Louisiana Tech. Again, I'm just repeating everything you said, but just going slower for folks like me out there who need a couple of times to uh, get something. <laughs> Rutgers, San Diego, UTSA, Iowa, Clemson, Alabama, ULL, and Middle Tennessee. So that's 12 teams for seven spots is essentially what we think it boils down to, barring a couple things, whether it's the Big East tournament or what have you. Um, and that could shrink, right? So like a bid yes. store would make that 11 spots, right? You know, yep. Four bid stealers would make that eight spots. You get the exercise. You have Ole Miss as the best bubble team out of the – 12 there. Whether they're first yep. best, second best, they're certainly top three. I think probably top two, just off the top of my head. So They'll definitely also, be top two after West Virginia loses this game. Yes, I think you're dead on with that. So they're certainly on the correct side of things as it stands. And so that's probably who – not probably, that is certainly who you need to root against. I'll just go through it because you have this outline uh, all nice and uh, nice and going here. Old Dominion play. Hold on. I've got that wrong. Uh, give me just one second. They actually play Louisiana Tech on Thursday. That helps. So, them, does it not? Yes. Someone has to lose that game. Um, now, someone has to win it, too. Here's the reality with Conference USA, though. With UTSA, Old Dominion, and Louisiana Tech, um, someone was going to just, by proxy, have a good week. You were probably conceding one spot to them anyways. You just don't want to concede two, if that makes sense. But that wouldn't that sense. be kind of hard to concede two from a sheer math perspective? Yeah, the only problem is UTSA is on the other side of the bracket. So what you don't need is UTSA beating a Southern Miss or something like that. Fair enough. So that's also good news for Ole Miss. And the other piece of that is – Oh no, you got you all in a So I need to tell them. Yeah, the I've got some of these off because I had to accidentally, or didn't accidentally, I moved um, North Carolina State into the, the locks field. So it, uh, 
it got it got messed up a little bit. No, that's um, fine. we'll just roll through what happened today. We already did with West Virginia. What did Old Dominion do? You said they won and they Old, played La Tech tomorrow. Yes, they uh, they beat um, Middle Tennessee actually. Um, who Middle Tennessee? I've got them as the twelfth team. Um, it would take almost a miracle for them to to get in that large bid at this point. But I don't feel a hundred percent confident eliminating them simply because they have two bubble teams on their side of their bracket with Louisiana Tech and Old Dominion. If they were to go through that and win three games and get to the championship, I think there's a possibility they could be an at-large team. Um, but I, I do not like the Blue Raiders' chances. I just don't feel 100% confident eliminating them. I will tell you this. I did. There was. I started this with, I believe, 15 teams, uh, maybe 14. Uh, 14 teams, and two have already been eliminated. They were South Carolina and Kennesaw State. Um, so it's gone from 14 to 12. And then Clemson, who is on the wrong side of this. So you have, just as we record this, West Virginia, Old Dominion, La Tech. And remember, Old Dominion and La Tech play each other. Rutgers, San Diego, and UTSA on the right side, meaning they would be in the NCAA tournament. And on the wrong side, you have Iowa, Clemson, Alabama, UOL. And as you just outlined, it would kind of take a miracle for Middle Tennessee. Now, in terms of requiring context there and what's happening is, Alabama surging, a massive win for the Crimson Tide against Arkansas yep. today. They – I forgot, I have to look back up again who they played tomorrow. Who do they play tomorrow? They actually don't play tomorrow um, because, oh, because the tournament is so backed up. Game. Yeah, they actually – they will play the winner of te- – uh, wow, now I'm confused. Um, they will play the winner of Texas A&M in Florida, which happens at 9.30 a.m. tomorrow. And if that happens, that's when it becomes – like Alabama probably gets on the right side of the bubble. And Alabama is one win from the NCAA tournament. Um, I, I do from the terms of Alabama, I think it's this simple. They either go uh, – they either win another game in the SEC tournament and they're in, or they go 0-2 and, and they will not be in. I don't really think the math is much more complicated than that. Yeah, no, I think that's a good way to put it. I was about to point out there now have two chances because they've surpassed the single elimination part of it. I think most people out there yep. probably gathered that part. But so we got – I got – somehow got pulled into some sort of Twitter thread. I think it started with someone saying they listened to the pod, so I appreciate that part of it. But I was, like, absentmindedly reading through that. Some of these – some people out there are doing that as an either-or. It's like, well, how do you take Ole Miss over Alabama? And that's not really how this works. This is a game of yep. musical chairs. This is not a uh, – this is not a, uh, a a death cage match. And so, yes, I guess in a vacuum, Ole Miss or Alabama, clearly you take Alabama, but that's not really how this works. This is more of a game of musical chairs than it is some sort of cage match where only one man walks out alive. Right. I think today, um, if they were picking the uh, teams today, I think Ole Miss would have a slight edge over Alabama just because they have a lot better metrics. And, and, and so here's what people are going to do um, when I say that. They're going to say, well, Alabama swept Ole Miss. Head-to-head doesn't matter unless it's a tie. Um, and I don't even really know if it matters if it's a tie. But oh, I don't 2016 think 2016 Ole Miss LSU probably uh, yeah. proof of both of your statements. There. Hey, speak, speaking of that, um, so let's see. I just want to get this up real quick in my head. Uh, they played six, seven. How many? All right, so Ole Miss, what did they go in their last ten? I'm just curious. They beat Missouri twice. Southern Miss, that's three. Swept LSU, that's six. They beat Missouri um, times, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I'm trying to – okay. So, they went six and oh, seven and two. So, they finished seven and three, right? Seven and three in the regular season. Um, and, and if I learned anything in 2016, momentum. Momentum is a very big deal. People forget that. 
And and so Ole Miss finished seven and three in their last ten. Shouldn't the momentum factor put them in? Because momentum is very important. Uh yeah, no, I absolutely think that's true. And they, they, I know you're like kind of that. Somewhat, I'm being a little sarcastic. No, right, but it's it is true in a way. Like it, you're being sarcastic in the sense that it shouldn't matter, but it, you kind of see it year after year that it does. You remember? I mean, it, it's worked in Ole Miss's favor before. Do you remember the 2019 where it was like yeah. Okay, Ole Miss probably hasn't done enough to host. That seemed to be the general consensus they needed to beat Vanderbilt, and then it turned out they were in. It wasn't close. Well, you know, if Ole Miss hadn't gone on an absurd run in Hoover, do you think that's the case? Probably not. No. Metrics alone. So I think it's a good point. I think you're probably definitely right. So they do have that going for them. It's probably a good enough time as any to bring in the 2017 comparison because as I went sure. back, I actually went back and read what I wrote for Chuck and Ben at the Spirit in 2017. When Ole Miss was in a similar, similar keyword, albeit not the same situation, the Rebels entered Hoover at 14 and 16. With a Governor's Cup loss, they entered that uh, SEC tournament at 14 and 17. They felt okay-ish about their chances, I would say, but it really felt like they needed to beat Auburn to cement their bid. Does that sound familiar? They lost that game three to two or something like that, if I'm not mistaken, on a Tuesday and Hoover, I never, well, I'll never forget Mike kind of stumping. Uh, for whatever reason, they didn't do the podium for that game, so Mike was like stumping. The game was late, very, very late. Yeah, that's. I think that you're. I think they're right. That's what it was. But Mike was just stumping to the four of us in the outfield instead of like the normal podium setup. So it's like, hey man, like, where, you, where do you want me to broadcast this? Like you're preaching to the choir here. I, I get what you're saying. And they ended up getting left out of the tournament. I remember that was one of my first years covering baseball. I think it was my third year total. I remember being mildly surprised, but generally from talking to people and Kendall and whomever, because that was a year also in turn with D1, where it's like, okay, this is a mild surprise, but this is not some sort of like earth shattering screw job by any stretch of the imagination. That year, Ole Miss finished 14 and 18, cumulative record counting the Governor's Cup and that Tuesday game. They were 11 and 20 against the RPI top 50. They were 16 and 21 against the RPI top 100. They only had two sub 100 RPI losses. But the kicker in this, and it's, I, I'm glad I went back and read like what I wrote at the time, because I think that's a healthier exercise than people want to let on sometimes. Five bid stealers that week. Five. Yep. And that's really what kind of screwed Ole Miss out of a spot. I don't remember what team they finished at. They could have been the 65th team or the 68th team. They were certainly one of the five first teams left out. Five bid stealers that year. To kind of put you the uh, this not argument, but kind of put this thing in the encapsulation, what are the odds there are five bid stealers this year? Because it seems much slimmer than 2017, and Ole Miss has better oh, metrics. Is that fair? So, on, on in a vacuum, you would say, hey, um, so there, uh, let me do this first. Of, of league that uh, a bid could be stolen in. Here we go. West Coast, because Gonzaga is getting in. American, because East Carolina is getting in. Um, Big Ten, because Maryland is getting in. Missouri Valley, because Dallas Baptist is getting in. Uh, the Sun Belt, because Georgia Southern, Coastal Carolina, and Texas State are getting in. And the CUSA, because Southern Miss is getting in. A little nuance with the CUSA, because the team that comes out of um, the other side of the bracket then from Southern Miss and Louisiana Tech, the team that comes out of that will more than likely be in an NCAA regional. Um, unless Middle Tennessee or Charlotte come back through the loser's bracket, I do not believe that will happen. Um, it's funny you mentioned Bed Steelers because I actually have Grand Canyon 
and Southern Miss pulled up on uh, my computer as we're watching, as we're talking about this. Grand Canyon um, is a team in the West Coast Conference, or excuse me, the Western Athletic Conference, that many believe if they fall, they could still make the NCAA tournament. So um, them getting sent to the loser's bracket would not be beneficial for Ole Miss. Southern Miss is currently down one to nothing to uh, UAB. Not great for the Rebels. I don't figure that will be an issue. I figure Tanner Hall will figure it out. You asked if five is unreasonable or if five is a high number. I feel like five is a high number um, just because the Sun Belt, I don't know if people know this, the Sun Belt is actually on the single elimination. I feel like that is beneficial for um, the teams um, that are on the bubble, maybe in the Sun Belt, like Louisiana Lafayette. But in saying that, it could be it could very easily get to uh, where there's not a bid stolen. I, I, I think in Gonzaga is so much better than the West Coast Conference that I don't think a bid will get stolen there. Um, I think two, one to two, maybe three is the number this year. I mean, there's not going, it's not going to be zero. Um, but I, I, I think five would definitely shock. I, I think we're talking about one to three bids stolen this year. That's good news for the Ole Miss Rebels because they, by your math, would need six ish. Yeah. Um, now, that could now, change, but, obviously, depending on Alabama, yeah. Iowa, Clemson. Rutgers, yeah. Um, so, Clemson but, is playing Thursday in a game against – They have to win. Virginia Tech. Yes, that is correct. Um, the problem, I guess, for Ole Miss, the way to put it, the problem is the game means nothing for Virginia Tech. Um, Virginia Tech is going to be a national seed. Virginia Tech has to play a game on Friday to uh, that they have to win to advance in the ACC tournament. The game literally means nothing for Virginia Tech. So, But Clemson has to win it. If they do not win it, they will miss the NCAA tournament. They will be taken off my uh, precious hot board. So um, definitely a, a very, very big game for the Tigers there. So as we – we'll just hit these last couple real quick. UTSA, they play Florida Atlantic on Thursday. Um, is the tournament as well, correct? Yes, that is. Let me see actually what Florida Atlantic's um, RPI is, if it would like to load. Florida Atlantic's RPI is 91. That will not help UTSA if they win it. Obviously, for Ole Miss's sake, you need them to lose that game. That game is actually at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning now. Um, or I guess as people are listening, this is at 9 a.m. on Thursday morning. Um, UTSA losing that would be good for Ole Miss. The 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 quicker uh, UTSA is not able to beat Southern Miss, um, the better. So definitely definitely would like uh, the Road Runners. I believe I believe that's what they are to uh, lose to the uh, to Lane Giffen's former team. And then if I have this correctly, in the Sun Belt, ULL does not play again until Friday, and they play South. Yeah. So. Um, Weird with the Sun Belt. They were actually scheduled to start today, um, but rain actually canceled that day. And the rain is so bad tomorrow, projected, that they just called tomorrow, too. So they have eight teams, um, and they have gone to single elimination. So they will play four games on Friday, two on Saturday, and one on Sunday. That seems good for Ole Miss. That that does seem good for Ole Miss. So here's how it's good for Ole Miss, right? Um, ULL can only – pick up so think about this ULL would have to win three games to win the tournament so from an at-large perspective 
Um, they're playing South Alabama, who's not going to really help them from an RPI perspective on, on um, Friday. And then they would play um, Texas State on Saturday. If they won that, they would be in the championship. Um, they would only get one RPI win, I guess I'm saying, um, as far as an at-large first bid it goes. So I don't think ULL can be an at-large team. The problem is ULL could win three games in three days and still sure. bid, if that makes sense. Yeah, double-edged so, in that sense. Yeah, so I, I think ULL's chances of being that large team are done because it's single elimination. You can't get multiple wins over top 25 and top 30 RPI teams. Um, that being said, I, I think that the single elimination opens it up for a bid stealing. Um, there are three teams, thankfully, um, for Ole Miss's sake, that um, can win that league and not have a bid stolen. Those are Texas uh, State, Georgia Southern, and Coastal Carolina. Um, so, obviously, from, from an Ole Miss perspective, you on Friday need to root for those, those three teams to advance. Last one, Iowa, 9 a.m. Thursday morning. Most people, this <sighs> already happened. They play Penn State. They'd probably win that game. What needs to happen after that, assuming that's the case? Um, so, here's, the, here's Iowa's issue a little bit, right? Um, they have, as I'm currently looking at it, a 58 RPI. It's not, not good enough to get in that has to go up here's their problem they only have Rutgers to play to get that up so um Penn State and I believe Purdue are the only other sides that or the other teams on that side of the bracket um Iowa is going to me is gonna have to get to the final of the Big Ten tournament and they're gonna have to get there by beating Rutgers twice like you can't just get there because you beat Penn State and then you beat Rutgers, and then, oh, look, Penn State upset Rutgers. Now you beat Penn State again. That's not helping your RPI, if that makes sense. So um, I believe Iowa's path to the NCAA tournament is either win the Big Ten tournament or get to the finals by beating Rutgers twice. Um, a lot of people on D1 – so so I, I want to make this very clear. Those guys are much better at this than me. Um, I'm an idiot. But they are projecting that Rutgers is safe at, at I don't see how. I mean, we're talking about a team with a 40 RPI and one top 50 win. I don't know how you would consider them safe. I understand that they won a lot of Big Ten conference games. Um, but at the end of the day, like 17-7 and seven in the Big Ten is what it is. But when we're talking about only one for sure team that is getting in, I don't, I don't really know what that means um, when you have one uh, top 50 win. So as far as Iowa goes, obviously, if you're an Ole Miss fan, they play at 9 a.m. against uh, Penn State tomorrow. You hope they lose that game. If they lose that game, their at-large chances are done. They would have to rebound and win the tournament. Um, but but Iowa is certainly one to keep an eye on if they are to get to the final of the Big Ten tournament by beating Rutgers twice. With all that in mind, you just did a tremendous job outside, outlining that you earned the millions that I pay you doing this podcast. <laughs> and so I might have to get a bonus on that one. Outside of that, do you think the – I don't know how to describe this sense of existential dread about Ole Miss now waiting it out for what will be pretty much five mm-hmm. and a half, six days by the time they learn their fate, probably around five. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that resides more in the fact that how the season ended and years past versus the actual metrics in the situation of this year? Um, so that's a really good point. I, I get a little – and I shouldn't. Um, people – get upset and trust me, I get upset with Ole Miss baseball a lot too. And, and, you know, say, Hey, you know, the, the, the season's over. They can't make Yes, they can. Like, 
like it's it's one thing to be emotionally pissed off because I trust you. Trust me. At one thirty a.m. this morning, when I finally laid down, um, I was extremely pissed off. Um, but it's another thing. I like to actually go look at the numbers and say, hey, you know, they're not the season's not over now. Can they can they miss the NCAA tournament? Absolutely. Um, I don't think they will. But you know, I I, I felt this team was a good team all year uh, or for half the year, and I was definitely wrong on that. I could be wrong on this for sure too. Um, I don't know. It's uh, I I get what you're asking, but people are so frustrated by how this season went that they just assume it's over. It's like, well, it might be, and for all intents and purposes, out, unless they have a a renaissance of offense, it it will be over um, sometime next week. But um, metrically speaking, no, it's it's almost is very very much still alive as far as getting in this tournament. And that's probably part of it as well, and probably what I should include, and you outlined that well. It's like, well, look, for all intents and purposes, this probably is over. I don't think either you and I envision us envision them making a run at this point. Again, nothing would shock me in this year if they turned around and they were just a blistering offense for four days and made it through a regional, I guess. Would it stun me? No. But at this point, going off the you know varying sample sizes of evidence we have, it, uh, it, I wouldn't bank on it. That is per se. I wouldn't put my cold, hard cash on that. Um, by any stretch of the imagination and so like that's why this entire conversation requires a bit of nuance because just what we spent the last half hour doing is trying to figure out if they are going to earn a bid to the tournament that doesn't necessarily matter that it's like that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to matter right like that it, it doesn't really mean much past that if they don't do anything with it and the brand of baseball they played in the final what 18 innings yeah or so leading up to it is not a great sign but as we pointed out a couple times you know, throughout the year in this weird season, it's a strange sport. You get in, maybe the pressure of them just getting in helps them out a little bit. Um, I wouldn't necessarily bank on that because it seems like every time this team has faced any sort of real pressure or push, they haven't exactly been the best versions of themselves. And so I say all of that to say is I think Ole Miss is probably fine from a getting in standpoint. What does it matter? I guess it could be crazy. To sum all this up, I guess to wrap all this part of it up, is there a short version of a case you could give me that they don't get in? Like, if it's going to yeah. require you to do all kinds of math and stuff, please no. don't, don't, don't feel like you have to. But what's, do you have a top-of-mind case of how they get screwed out of a bid? Screwed out of a bid is probably oh. the wrong phrase, but you get what I'm saying. Alabama wins another game. Okay. Um, so that, that's, that's where I'd start. Um, the Sunbelt t- tournament goes crazy. Um, as far as the single elimination goes, teams that, that – weren't projected to, you know, um, get in, get in. Um, just looking here, um, you know, maybe uh, – I can tell you another one that, that could be screwy. Dallas Baptist is projected to – or, excuse me, Dallas Baptist will be in the NCAA tournament. But Dallas Baptist is the three seed in the Missouri Valley tournament. Somebody else wins the Missouri Valley, which that one is – if I had to pick a bid stealer right now, that is the one I would look for is Missouri Valley with Dallas Baptist. Again, they're the three seed, but they will be in the NCAA tournament. So definitely would like them to win their tournament as the three seed. If they don't, someone else will steal a bid. Um, Americans the same way. And now I, I do believe East Carolina is a lot better than their competition. And I do believe East Carolina will win that tournament. But, you know, they, they didn't win it last year. Uh, South Florida won it last year and actually got to a Super Regional. But, um, no, it's, 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 you know, how do four or five bid stealers, do three or four bid stealers happen? And then does a, does a team like 
UTSA, do they go on a run and beat Southern Miss twice? Um, does a Clemson get in? Does a, you know, something like that. Now, here's, here's what I'll say. Um, I'm looking at this, especially if West Virginia loses tonight, and it certainly looks like that. There is only so much these teams that are behind Ole Miss can do. Um, not all of them can get ahead of Ole Miss, if that makes sense. Like, I don't believe – or, excuse me, Iowa can win enough games to get ahead of Ole Miss from an outlier standpoint. Same with Louisiana Lafayette. Same with Middle Tennessee. Um, same, really, with San Diego. Um, I don't believe those teams can jump ahead of Ole Miss. So, I believe Ole Miss has kind of supplanted them as far as what they can do in the tournament. But as far as how they would miss, man, it's, it's you know, Alabama wins another game and, and you have four or five bid stealers, which certainly happened in 2017. And and you could certainly uh, find yourself as the 65th team on, on Monday morning. What a weird way for this entire thing to end if the latter part is the case, right? Like – Oh, yeah. Like, doesn't it feel like the – I don't want to say the proper way for like Mike Bianca to go out. Please don't make me like sound like this is wax poetic by any means, but like it, it would just be, wouldn't it be weird to have a five day layoff and then all of a sudden that's the end of the Mike Bianco era because of like a t- t- television. show instead of a bullpen gaff, you know, <laughs> wouldn't you rather him put in like Mitch Morell in the tight spot and watch that in part than just have someone on a TV be like, guy, that's the field. I guess I shouldn't play Would You Rather with Ole Miss fans at this point. But man, what a weird, precarious spot to be in because, you know, we talk about narratives changing and things like that. It's probably different. It's much different if they win the game last night. You're probably talking about look, probably not playing on Wednesday as we record this, right, because of the rain and all that. But it's like, hey, like, okay, you shoot your shot against Tennessee, but you've done what you need to do. Now it's time to regroup for the postseason, to, whereas you have that lethargic performance. And it's like, they're probably in, but what does it matter? Like, it's, it's crazy with this team and the way they've set this season up because of two months of futility, how much the storyline and all of that changes based off of nine innings of baseball. But, you know, at the end of the day, I guess that's kind of what this sport is in a sense. Yeah, yeah that's exactly what it is. Um, look, some teams have opportunities to, to cement their way to the NCAA tournament, NC State being one of them, and, and they get it done, and, and some teams score one run um, and 16 innings or whatever the hell it was. Um, you know, it's it's unfortunate that Ole Miss put themselves in this situation, but it's kind of like the analogy we've made all year. Um, it's like the kid that didn't show up till after the midterm, and now he's turned in his final, and he's hoping the teacher maybe just, you know, doesn't dock him for some things that he, that he did, and Hopefully, by God, he gets a 61 and, and is able to graduate. Uh, yeah, no, you're exactly right. I'm glad you went to this reference, though, one more time because I'll throw one back at you. You talk about the kid that didn't study all semester. Well, you know, finals, you have finals week. And depending mm-hmm. on what that test is, that sucker could be on Monday at 8 a.m. or Friday at 4. Yep, yep, and in the, yep. In, in the case of Ole Miss <sighs> – if they do get in, like if they – I don't even know if this is like the same analogy in that sense, but I'll put it to you this way. They will have the most time off away from playing baseball games than they've had in four months. Do you put any stock into the fact that, you know, now they're going to have five days off if they realize their fate on Monday, which as we outlined, I think they're probably in, but, you know, you never know. Do you put any stock to the fact that they have that much time away to kind of regroup, sigh, we're in, and then a light switch? Does the time off – and the relief of getting in the tournament switch 
like flip a switch. I know I'm asking you an impossible question, right? We don't, we're not in the locker room with this team, but just your thoughts on that, just a guess. Um, if I'm honest, no, because they've they've had fifty. I'm fifty-five games to flip that switch, and outside of one week weekend in Baton Rouge, they haven't. Um, so no, I, I look. I don't think this team is going to go win a regional. Quite frankly, I don't think this team is going to play a game to win a regional. Um, just don't think they're good enough, and and I hope I'm wrong. Certainly, um, but it just it I, I've seen nothing over. 55 or whatever games to, to think this team is, has what it takes to, to want, not even win a regional, but to go on the road and win a regional, something that has not been done in the Mike Bianco tenure. Um, just from a talent standpoint and, and just how they played, I, I don't know how you can surmise that this team um, can go somewhere and win a regional um, on Friday. And, and here's my thing, and this is a totally different conversation, right? If I'm the NCAA selection committee, I would put teams in that I thought could win a regional. Um, and, and I know I'm ad- advocating for maybe not putting Ole Miss in, but I think that would be the, like, if I'm breaking ties as far as, you know, putting teams in, um, I'm putting someone in that I think can go win a regional. Like last year, I, I believe Fairfield was put into the tournament. I would not have put Fairfield in because I knew by God they're not going to go win a regional. Um, I'd have put Pittsburgh in, you know. I, I think that is how I would determine who I put into the NCAA tournament with those last few spots. Is I would put teams that I, I think, if they played well, could go win a regional. I think that's an interesting way to look at it as well. And, I, I mean, but does Ole Miss benefit? Look, I know the committee is watches college baseball, but, like, they don't – I mean, look, every local person knows their team better than, like, the national people, right? Like, don't you think Ole Miss almost benefits that from – well, they were the number one team in the country if they figure it out. Like, I'm with you. I don't think Ole Miss can win a regional as well. But it's almost like they'll benefit from that in a weird way of just being ranked number one. And for, you know, a common theme with this team, kind of resting off the laurels of an early preseason ranking. Last thing I had that really had nothing to do with that part of it, but when you talk about winning a regional and the little things that matter in the postseason – this team doesn't do like the little stuff well. And I don't even I don't even know if this counts as like little stuff, but like the Enrique Bradfield catch last night, that yep. changed the course of that game early on. Yep. And I, my thought was like, when's the last time Ole Miss has made a diving catch like that? And you will, well, Hayden Leatherwood, though. But it's like, well, he moved nine feet for that ball. And I don't mean to knock Hayden Leatherwood, but that man has mastered the hey, I'm only gonna move like 12 total feet, but bet your ass I'm gonna get some grass on my pants and slot. He's not a natural outfielder. I get it. But, you know, there's a lot of real estate between that Bradfield diving catch and the Leatherwood one. Ole Miss doesn't do stuff like that. And that can kind of, like, swing a game. And, it, you know, all other things aside, when you're in a 2-2 game in a 2-3 matchup late on a Friday night in a regional, I, I just don't – like, I, I don't have the faith that Ole Miss is going to do the small things that kind of put the clamps on a game like that and make all the world the difference, if that makes any sense at all. I just don't have I'll any – put it like that. Do you remember when – so the 19 regional, right? Were you there when, when they played Clemson and Jacksonville State? Were you were – you Yes, no, I was, uh, that was, I was covering that full-fledged working. Yeah. Do you remember when, when Ole Miss um, – the field came out and, and Ole Miss beat um, Jacksonville State and then they beat Clemson, kind of just dominated them behind Nikhazy, um beat their ace and, and won the game. And then Clemson loses, right, on Sunday morning to Jacksonville State. And we – I remember having this conversation. I don't know if it was you or Chase or who, but there is a reality to power five seeds or excuse me, power five, three seeds are massively flawed. 
think that would be the reality with Ole Miss this year. They would get sent somewhere where they are a massively flawed baseball team, and they would not make it out of a regional. Look, I, I think there is something to that. Three seeds, power five, three seeds are baseball teams that have not played well that year. And, and I think, quite frankly, that's just the camp that Ole Miss would be in, assuming they got in. I think that's well said. You're right. I mean, I remember that Clemson team. It's like, I, you know, usually I remember writing those previews or it's like, hey, this team could do this or whatever. It's like, hey, watch out for this. That was a lot easier when it was Georgia Tech and Washington in 14 than it was even like the, the Tulane deal in 16 to where I remember writing that thing in 19 where it's like, I mean, I can sell these people that are reading this a bunch of crap, but this team sucks. Like looking at Illinois <laughs> and Clemson. Um, so I'm with you there. I, uh, well, I think- and, and here's what's funny, right? Um, so Ole Miss lo- has lost, what, three regionals at home under Mike Bianco? Do you know who won those regionals? One of them was Tulane, and the other was Tennessee Tech, and I believe the other was Boston College, who was a two seed. So I, I guess my point is, like, the teams that have come in and won your regionals are not the, the power five three seeds. Um, that barely got into the tournament. They're the two seeds that were really, really good. So um, the teams, I guess what I'm saying, is the teams that scrap into the tournament and barely get in aren't usually the ones that uh, you see go on some late-season run. No, you're right there, and it even falls in line with the ones that it hasn't happened, right? Like if Ole Miss hadn't won that 14 regional, it would have been Washington, not Georgia Tech. Right, um, right. Washington was much better, and you can go throughout examples throughout that, the other regions that Ole Miss has won. I think it's a great point. And, and 21, Southern Miss. Yeah. It wasn't Florida State. It wasn't Florida State. That's a perfect comp. I mean, Florida State put that, that Florida State coughing up. The, Ole Miss got so fortunate to win that game, too. And guess what? Florida State pissed down its leg defensively. What, what is yeah, that? Because that's what that bad teams familiar? do. Yeah, that's what bad teams do. They <laughs> find a way to lose. Because literally, the kid throws the ball in the stands. It's Tim Oko with his torn ACL is running down the first. Could have ran it over there to first base. And my man hit, got the guy in section F. It's a terrific point. I mean, the, 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 the parallels actually are endless the more and more you think about it. It's a great point. So I, <laughs> we'll see where Ole Miss fades uh, feebly in a uh, regional should they get in one. So that's a dynamite way to wrap up this podcast. Please continue to listen. Uh, so <laughs> this has been Colin Brister. I'm Brian Scott Rippey. Dude, I appreciate the time. We'll be doing another podcast. I think it will be previewing a regional um, we'll see. We'll be back. Yeah. Previewing a regional or previewing something else. Yeah. So uh, next pod will be dynamite. So uh, I appreciate the time, dude. We'll talk to you uh, over the weekend. Sounds good, my man. All right. That is our show. If you made it to the end, I appreciate you joining us. As always, appreciate you guys listening to the podcast. That is not the end of the road for Colin and I. We will have another podcast uh, regarding baseball. It's just, will there be baseball to be played after that as we discuss it and what will be we'd be discussing i'm fascinated to find out uh we'll be back we'll do just a classic mailbag friday probably a little quicker show this week but we'll bring back mailbag friday so if you're listening to this send me your mailbag friday questions uh as you see fit i'll roll through them probably won't have a guest on friday show i didn't really have a plan this week with i didn't know what baseball was doing how that was going to go so that's uh probably just your old traditional the people's holiday back in full force on friday so be on the lookout for that and we will catch you on friday This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, 
and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.